my one prayer as I was walking up here was please let my glasses be unfoggy enough I can read my notes. start with the reading of the word. We're in Genesis chapter 45 and smid to 46 and I will be reading from the New International Version. I'd like y'all to follow along if you brought your Bibles. <clears throat> then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one but Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing in your land. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall have the region. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt, for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because all the best of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of, cloths, five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up 
out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive, and I will go see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And he spoke to Israel, and God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. The word of the Lord. So we've been following this line and this family all through Genesis. We've been following along with the story of God's creating a good world to fellowship, to share in fellowship with human beings. And the story of how bad choices by our forefathers uh, spoiled that plan and how God has worked continuously since then for the redemption of the world and to restore to the world the blessing he originally intended for it. We've, we've talked about how that focus came down to one man, Abram, and his descendants, and we've been following the story here. We talked about Jacob and his sons and his son's jealousy of their brother Joseph, their murderous jealousy of their brother Joseph, and selling him into slavery. And last two weeks, we've talked about the family having to come to Egypt to, to get sustenance because there's a famine in the world. And uh, Joseph observing them and testing them. Last week, we talked about their second visit back and uh, this rather elaborate test that Joseph had arranged of hiding the cup in Benjamin's bag and sending them away and then sending a servant after them to say, why have you done this? And talked a little bit last week about how that could seem like kind of a, a cruel trick. But Benjamin doesn't know the characters of his brothers at that point. He's only, they're the brothers that sold him into slavery. They're the brothers that wanted to kill him. That was his last information on them. And the first time they came down to Egypt to get grain, they left another brother as a hostage, went back to Canaan, and, and weren't going to come back. The only reason they came back is because the famine was longer than they Thought. So as far as, as far as Joseph can tell, it's business as usual. But when last week we came to this story of the hidden cup and him testing them in it, he said, you know, I, why did you do this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the one of you that stole the cup and bring him back. And he said, the rest of you can go. 
and he's giving them a test. Are these going to be are these going to be the same kids they've always been? Are they going to leave their brother and save their own skins? And they don't. They don't. They all come back and they argue for the safety of their brothers. And it's at this point that we come into the story today, and it it breaks down Joseph. He sees this, and the first thing is he couldn't control himself. And he, he had to, he's like, everybody, get out of here, leave the room. You know, he's, he's almost crying. Well, he is crying. Um, he's emotional because he sees that this is, this is how brothers should be. This is probably how he wished the brothers had been when he was there. And now he can see it, and it's, it's too much for him. And at this point, he feels safe to make himself known to them. Now that, a couple things happen. One is he's crying so loudly that the Egyptians hear it and news of it reaches Pharaoh's household. I wonder what Pharaoh's thinking because Pharaoh's doing pretty well right now because of Joseph. He's made Joseph, you know, second in charge and, and except with respect to the throne as, as, as powerful as Pharaoh in the land. And now his servants are, are coming and saying, um... There's something going on at Joseph's place, and he's crying real loud. This this probably not initially received as good news by the Pharaoh because he's 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 benefited a lot from this young man. Or at this point, he's probably not quite so young anymore, but from from Joseph. And so Joseph he tells his brothers, "No, it's really me. Is is my father still alive? Is he still good? I mean, I I know he was before, and you say he is, but is he, is he really okay?" And the brothers aren't able to answer because they're scared. The first time they were up, they were tested and grilled by Joseph, and they thought, oh, our, our sin has found us out. It's, it's because of our, you know, because we wanted to murder our brother and we sold him into slavery that this is happening to us. And they think that is just karma, that this brought them before this powerful man. And, well, not karma, but they think that it's their own sin finding them out. Now it's not just some ruler of a foreign country. This powerful man turns out to be the brother they sold into slavery. So their first reaction isn't probably, oh, hey, hooray, Joseph, good to see you. Um, They're terrified. And then Joseph says to his brothers, come here. Also probably not... uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you know, when you're in school and you get uh, called to the principal's office, your first thought isn't probably I'm about to receive some great honor, some high praise. No, your first thought is I'm, I'm in trouble. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now he... He doesn't hide what they did. He names their sin. He's like, yeah, this, this is me. This is this is the one. But he, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't, I'm the brother that you sold into slavery, and now you're in trouble. He's like, do not be distressed, and don't be angry with yourselves. I'm telling you what you did, but this is what happened. Don't be angry with yourselves, because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. He's saying, he's 
bringing them into that story that we've seen so far throughout creation. Man makes bad choices, and God turns those bad choices into vehicles of blessing to move his plans along. It's that whole, you know, Romans 8 thing, that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. We talked about this when they first went down for a famine to get food for the famine. Famines are kind of common in the Middle East. And it wouldn't have been unusual for there to be a famine. And we've seen famine before this in in the account in Genesis, and people have gone to Egypt to get food. So that part wouldn't have seemed unusual to them. The the second year of the salmon, the the salmon, sorry, the second year of the famine might have taken them a little bit by surprise, but they're still, they're going to go back to Egypt and deal with it the same time. Joseph's now telling them, oops, it, it's just getting started. This is, this is not something you, you've seen before. This is going to be seven years. And that's kind of neat, because sometimes when we're looking for a solution to a problem, and, and we're part of God's story, we come looking for a solution to a problem, and the problem is actually much bigger than what we're aware of, but graciously, God is not only dealing with the problem they're aware of, but delivering them from the much bigger problem they, at this point, didn't even know they had. So he says, you were in worse trouble than you thought, but it's okay. And God is working this for your deliverance. God sent me ahead of, ahead of you to prepare, to save a remnant. He's like, God is looking after the blessing he promised to our family. I know you intended this. This happened out of jealousy, but God is using this because God is standing over and watching over the promises he made to his family. So then it wasn't you that sent me here, but God. He tells them about the favor he's found, and he says, now now go back to the Father, our Father, and tell him I'm still alive. Tell him to come join me here. And there's this wonderful picture of of restoration. I talked last week, I said that probably the title, if I was going to give it, would be Unexpected Blessings, Redemption, and Restoration, Part 1. And this is Part 2. And we're already beginning to see something. We see kind of a restoration and a resurrection in the lives of their brothers. This was an uncaring family. This was a family that was so jealous that they were going to kill their brother because he was more favored than them. Now this is actually a family that is offering to lay down their own lives in ransom for each other. So that's the beginning of restoration there. Also, we have restoration and reformation of Joseph at this point, because when we're first introduced to Joseph, the the first thing we know he did was tattle on his brothers. When he's talking about the dreams he has, to his brothers and his father when he's a young man. He's, he's kind of focused on how great he is. Now we have a transformation and a restoration of Joseph because now he has compa- great compassion on his brothers and on his father. He's, he's telling, look how great this is. I have all this favor with Pharaoh. Essentially, his dreams have come true. Um, he is in a position where all the world's bowing down to him. But now he's talking, not talking about it in terms of how great he is. 
He's like, look at what I can do for you. Look at the blessing that I've come into. So we have the reformation of the brothers, and we have the reformation of, of Joseph here. And you can see it. You know, he's just holding his brother Benjamin and weeping. He's, he's a cha They're changed men, and he's a changed man. And I love this. When the news of this reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. I think they were probably pleased uh, for a number of reasons. One, they just heard that Joseph was crying, and, uh, you know, I'm sure Pharaoh was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what, what horrible thing has happened? You know, has he, has he had another interpretation of a dream and we're in trouble? But now he knows, oh, hey, it's good news. He was also happy because Joseph was blessed. This is somebody that had done him great good, and now he can receive the report that, hey, this is a blessing that's happened to Joseph. So he's got to feel a little good about that. And maybe a little more selfishly, his, his kingdom has profited greatly from Joseph being in the position he is. Maybe he's thinking, I wonder if the other brothers are, you know, good. You know, it's, this is a good thing. Maybe, maybe we're going to get more of a good thing here. And uh, he's eager to bring that whole family here. For one thing, he can, he can tell this is a blessed line and... If he blesses them, and if he brings them in and shows them favor, he would logically expect that some favor and blessing would accrue to him, which it does later on. So he he tells tells Joseph to to make these arrangements, send these carts, send these donkeys. Now Joseph's already told his brothers to do this, so Pharaoh's saying the same thing. And anytime things are repeated in the Bible, it's or anytime things are repeated in Hebrew storytelling especially, it, it's reinforcing the point. Um, so this is really, this is kind of doubling down on the, on the bringing of, of Jacob and his family into Egypt. You get that this is important, that this is a good thing. One of the things I love about the, the, the more you study scripture, the more you realize it's constantly referring to itself and reinforcing the story it tells. So this, this double invitation is just doubling down on, on what God's going to intends to do. So he tells them, yeah, take the cards. Go. And he tells them, never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Now there's a bunch of things in, in today's text that really just really spoke to me just because this it's kind of a challenging week for a number of reasons, and, and it's always a real blessing when what you're kind of engaging with to prepare to talk about on Sunday is, is bringing blessing to your life. That's always really good. But this notion of, of, you know, don't even worry about your possessions because the best of Egypt is going to be yours. I kind of think of that in terms of, of the promises we have as believers. Sometimes this, this is a very uncertain world. But it's like, don't, don't even worry about what you have now, you know? The, the best of heaven is, is going to be yours. So you can, you, can, you can forget about that. Don't worry about that. Press on. Keep going towards the, the invitation that you have, that you've been invited into, because, because there's blessing ahead of you. And this is the other part that really spoke to me. Well, the brothers, they get back to Egypt, and they tell tell their father. 
they told him in verse 20, uh, 26, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Well, it's, it's more than Jacob was stunned. Um, the actual Hebrew, uh, and, and if you have an ES, uh, in ESV, it will say his heart was numb. And that's a pretty good, actually, um, translation of the, the actual Hebrew behind that. But it's like the very core of his being, the part of him that, that it gets translated heart, but the, the center of the being, the center of who he was, was paralyzed. Well, in psychology, there's this, this concept called learned helplessness. And uh, I, I remember learning about this in college and, and thinking, boy, people that do psychological experiments are really cruel. Because they did, they did a test. They did this kind of exercise to show this. And they had a tank with fish in it. And there's a bunch of prey species of fish and a predator fish. And you start out with the predator in the tank, and it can eat the prey fish, and everything's fine. And then you put it in a glass container in the aquarium with the prey fish, but it's in this little container, and it can't get out to the rest of them. And because it's glass, it doesn't see it. And so it will start trying to go after the prey fish, and it will keep swimming into that glass wall and bumping its nose. And after a while, it learns it can't get to the prey fish. Then you take that glass thing out, and now it's swimming with the prey fish again, and it will starve to death, even though it's there and there's nothing preventing it from, from achieving its goals. It won't do it because it's learned that it doesn't matter. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help anything. Well, when the brothers were preparing to go back to Egypt the second time, their father had told them, no, you know, I've, I've already lost my son Joseph, and now your brother Simeon is down there as a prisoner. You know, don't, because I, I can't lose anymore. I've already lost enough. And finally, at the end of it, he's just resigned. He just says, fine, go take Benjamin, and whatever happens to me happens to me. He has gotten to a numbed an almost apathetic state. He, he doesn't care. Life can get you into that position very easily. There are so many disappointments and discouragements in life that they can get you to where you forget. He forgot. There's, all, there's a promise from God of what's going to come through him. And not just his life depends on it. God has said, I am going to bless the whole world through you and your line. But circumstances have made him forget that and not focus on that. His heart became numb, paralyzed within him. But they kept talking and they told him everything that Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father revived. This is really cool. This is, this is the part that really ministered to me. The spirit of their father revived, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is alive, and I will go see him before I die. This is a little double resurrection passage. 
Because when it talks about the spirit and their father revived, the word for revived there is the same. It gets translated, bring back from the dead in other places in the Old Testament. It means to have life. It means to certainly have life. So you get this picture of Joseph who was numbed, who was defeated. He suddenly brought back to life. And when he says, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive, that's a related word. And there's a play there. For him, he's been brought back to life. And in his life, his son Joseph has been brought back to life. So this is a double resurrection for him. And then this concludes with just a really nice phrase that kind of puts this thing back together. I talked last time about how in this narrative of the second trip down to uh, Egypt, God is largely absent. Not that he's not there, but we don't see him spoken of as a character. We don't see him acting. We get a little bit in this chapter with Joseph attributing things to him, but it's, it's very much uh, like, like I said, uh, the book of Esther, which is a story of God's redemption that never mentions God. Up to this point, God isn't mentioned in this narrative. But once we get to uh, chapter 46, we're going to get this really nice thing that's going to let us know what's going on. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Well, this is really neat because it's a callback to Genesis 26, 23, with the first altar that his father Isaac had built at Beersheba after he had trouble with the neighbors there. He'd, he'd had his shepherds and the shepherds of the, of the people of Canaan there had, had fought and argued and they'd finally made a treaty and Isaac had to built this altar at Beersheba and he called on the name of the Lord. And in verse 23, oh, that's the story. In verse 20, starting in verse 23, into verse 24, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So this is a callback to that promise. This is God framing this whole thing, saying everything that's happened, this is still part of the story. This is still what I'm doing. I'm the same God that was with your father. I'm the same God that was with Abraham. I haven't abandoned you. Everything is still going the way it's supposed to be going. It can be, you know, one of the, one of the problems that for stories that go on for a very long time, much like our lives, is you can, you can lose that first love. You can lose that sense that you're part of something. It's been, you know, 1950 years, give or take, since, since Jesus left this planet. It, it could be tempting when you look around to say, how long, God? You know, or is, is this still part of the plan? Or are we still here? But 
Yes, God has been and will be working out his plan. We have this position as Christians where we're, we've already received the promises of God in Jesus. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken through into the world. The order of things has been changed. The ruler of this world has been defeated. But not quite all the way yet. We're very much like the children of Israel here. We're very much like the family of Jacob. We have the promises. We've received blessing. They are receive, receiving <coughs> blessing. But it's not, it's not completed yet. But it's going to be. There are some really neat things at the end of this story. They're settled in Goshen. This is a picture. This is kind of a second Garden of Eden. And uh, just a couple of little details. We're not going to get to the text there. But when it numbers all the, the grand grandchildren, granddaughters of Jacob that come down with him, it names all the kids. And the total comes to 70. That, that's a little kind of Hebrew joke. 70 is the number of completion. 7 and 70 both stand as numbers of completion in the Old Testament. And after the flood, when it talks about the peoples of the earth, all the, you get the table of nations in Genesis 10, all the descendants of, of Noah. It says, you know, it, it lists 70. So this is a way of saying, this is, this is like a second Adam, and that all the blessings that God originally intended to come through Adam and that he reconfirmed with Noah are, are still on the table and they are going to come through this family. So everything that's happened has just served to advance God's purpose and God's purpose is still going forward. And um, it's just going to get bigger and bigger from this. It's going to, you know, obviously there's going to be a nation, the nation's going to fall but it is going to be well-established. One of the things I talked about a little bit last week is up to this point, we've been talking about the favored child in each generation, you know, Jacob rather than Esau, Isaac rather than Ishmael. Well, once you have this restoration of the brothers in Egypt, it's going to be the family. It's never again until Bethlehem is going to come down to one person. So this act of restoration God did, this act of healing in this family God did, is going to establish a people group and a nation. Well, that is the family that God worked through and is still working through to bring restoration to the world, to bring blessing to the world. And we're the heirs of that through Christ. So we're getting ready to celebrate the advent of Christ into the we are celebrating the advent uh, of the advent of Christ into the world. <coughs> and no matter how long it's been, no matter how numb our hearts might have become in the waiting, we serve a God of resurrection and his purposes are firm and he will restore us and he will restore all things. God bless you.